Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the live-action adaptation of Beauty and the Beast, starring Emma Watson and Dan Stevens. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome in to episode 106 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with my usual two co-hosts, Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. Not happy to be here. No? No. Hey, Alex. I'm yeah, uh, really happy to be here. In fact, good. I almost feel a song coming on. Do you? Yeah. Try it. It'll come here when it comes. If only he just started like just busting into Under the Sea. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> Under the Sea. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, the, film- the seaweed is much cleaner. <laughs> Far more dank. (laughs) The movie we are talking about today is the the fourth uh, live-action adaptation that Disney has done. Whoa, fifth. Pete's Mm. Dragon, motherfucker. Okay. Mm. Mm. eh. Mm. Pete's Dragon was the best one so far, so I don't want to hear that. No, that's the... Possibly the best, but in terms of the known Disney animation. Yeah. No, that, Pete Dragon's more of a remake. Yeah. Considering it was live action, it just had a cartoon dragon. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this is the continuation of, of this trend that Disney has been doing for, and this is what, four years now? Yeah. It's about <laughs> been about one a year with uh, Maleficent, Cinderella, The Jungle Book, and now Beauty and the Beast. This is the only one I've seen. It's probably the only one I ever will see, <laughs> to be honest. So, yeah. You didn't see Jungle Book? Nope. Okay. I watched 10 minutes of it on Netflix, and, and then you just I thought the CGI was awful. Yep. It's another day, probably. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but this film uh, from Disney that, that they put a lot of time, obviously, into because... You know the details for like the casting uh, and, and the plans for this film came out two years ago uh, when we were discussing the you know what was it going to be like with the the characters uh, that were going to be voiced by Ewan McGregor and Ian McClellan. Uh, what you know, I don't think anyone really had that many doubts about Emma Watson playing Belle, but. You know, the idea of Dan Stevens being the Beast, Luke Evans playing Gaston. I mean, everyone, for the most part, had an opinion on somebody who was on the cast list, other than Josh Gad as LeFou, who was pretty much like a knockout of the park. He's the only person who could play that role. Um, But here we are, uh, two years later, and the film is released, and it is, for the most part, a very large success at the box office. Uh, and also, for the most part, in terms of uh, you know, casual theater audiences, it's been pretty much unanimously enjoyed by people who've wanted to go see it. Uh, I think most people probably know the story, but if you don't, uh, this is the story of... <laughs> Strap on your seatbelt. <laughs> yeah. The story uh, of uh, one of the Disney princesses who uh, finds a monstrous-looking beast, and they work their way towards falling in love. Uh-huh. So this film does star Emma that Watson. Like you're panting instead of like crying. It's kind of both. Emma Watson, Dan Stevens, Luke Evans, Josh Gad, Kevin Klein. Uh, also here we have Ewan McGregor, Ian McClellan, Emma Thompson, Stanley Tucci, Audra McDonald, and there was somebody else in there. No, never mind. So, anyways, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that you've probably heard of uh, in, in different 
parts of media, as I'm sure quite a few people know, Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey. Uh, also, you know, Emma Watson, you know, we know her from. Luke Evans was in the, the Hobbit films, also played uh, the original Shaw in the Fast and the Furious movies. Yeah. Uh, and Josh Gad has been in numerous things, including doing the voice of Olaf uh, in Frozen. Yeah, like Disney has found their new muse. <laughs> yeah. Well, in a way, yeah. So, um, I want to start with Nick, because I know that you are a huge fan of the animated uh, film, and I know, obviously, you had uh, expectations of this film, but at the same time, I know you were suspect of, of certain aspects of it, so... I think it's a pretty fair description. Yeah. So, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Yeah. Well, I think the original movie is a masterpiece. I mm-hmm. would not change a single thing about it. I um, And then this came along. Toussaint, grown-ups are talking right now. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, everything of what makes Beauty and the Beast special, the original 1991 animated classic, is special because it came when it did and it came in the form that it did. I am a strong believer and I think those beliefs were reaffirmed after seeing this movie that this story in Disney's version of this story because technically the story has been told even before Disney in other versions like uh, Jacques Cousteau's wonderful you mean, uh, La Belle and the Beast you mean it's actually a tale as old as time hey Toussaint can you do me a favor um, leave get out shut that door behind you and never <laughs> come back. Yeah, I want to hear a sound effect. <laughs> Man, that carpet did not do uh, that very. No, it's I was going to say it's going to be really awkward for him when I go lock the door. <laughs> <laughs> oh darn it! Um. Anyway, Toussaint's gross punnery aside. Um. Yeah, I think the the nineteen ninety one film is a classic because of everything it got right in the moment it got it right. And um, I will admit, because I love that movie so much, I was at least somewhat looking forward to this one because I, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where on the one hand, I don't want to see a remake of the original because the original already does it. On the other hand, if it at all (laughs) captures what made the original good, it's like, how can I really dislike it? And so I will admit, I left the movie kind of conflicted Ultimately, I think this movie is completely unnecessary. I don't think there's a single scene in which this movie justifies its existence, which is ultimately what I needed to get out of it, uh, to at least leave it comfortably. It's not to say that this movie is awful or anything like that, but um, I do not understand the fetishization of simply taking animated movies and making them live action, because that completely... No, but some people like get like get off to it as far as like they prefer this because it's now it's more real somehow. I mean, uh, even if you, uh, I mean, because I mean, I'll, I'll get to this, but I may prefer some of the live action films that Disney is doing. Yeah, over, we're gonna get to that. That's fine over their animated counterparts, but not necessarily because they are live action. And at, at the same time, um. Yeah, it's it's all financially driven. Like, I'm not it's saying all, it's not. I mean, but I'm saying that's that's but all. People it is. like it. Well, it's one thing for the studio to make it. It's another thing for people to buy into it. Um, you you can't sell that many seats if people for some reason doesn't already but, worship at the altar. Of I feel like this Disney shit. is such. If I can just sneak this in real quick, if you don't mind, sneak it. You know, Disney. Oh, is, you're caught. <laughs> Disney is so obsessed with following the formula of the moment that they very rarely even will give a chance to doing something different. They've been following the Pixar method now for 20 years and they gave one chance to doing a film when people were clamoring for animated films like they used to do 
And it arrived in the form of the princess and the frog, which is like, this isn't what people wanted, but okay. And the sad thing about that is that because that wasn't a great movie. Mm-hmm. It looked wonderful. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm totally would have been on board for more. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think people probably drunk. still are. Right. And I get that, oh, it, well, it, it takes a lot of time and, and skill. And it's like, well, that says more about this generation than, I think that it does about yeah. Disney. But. Um, it just takes. A... Yeah, it's it's just the continuation of this film obsession with just trying to cash in on whatever uh, works in the moment, and it kind of yeah. sucks sometimes. A I lot of times, that. yeah. Um, but no. So ultimately, I guess my opinion on this movie. Let's let's fast forward to 2017. Uh, unfortunately, I can say that I was never necessarily bored by it. But that was only fueled by my love for the original movie. Like, I wouldn't say this movie in and of itself delivered anything of its own volition that made me appreciate it. Like, the only times in which I was engaged with it was when it was a slight, you know, nostalgia window into uh, seeing a slightly different angle on the same story and characters. Uh, Now, as a broad overview of what I think this movie gets wrong... um, (laughs) I think the jump to live action completely cements that this needs to be an animated movie because our CG is not good enough to make uh, household objects, apparently. Or that, or maybe it's just a design choice here because there were times when I could barely tell that like Lumiere was an animated object, not because I couldn't tell that his arms were moving or whatever, but like I have to squint to see his face. That is like flies in the face of what made the original movie so special. Oh, the- I was just gonna say. Okay. No, I'm just gonna His say. His face was literally the candle, though. Yeah, I mean, the original. No, I, I know well, what he was. Yeah, no, yeah, but like, <laughs> I, I, I understand that. I but, mean, but picture, the... picture. Let's do a thought exercise right now. Mm-hmm. Picture Lumiere, circa 1991, in your head. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now picture, <laughs> picture the new Lumiere in your head. How does the new Lumiere, in any way, shape, or form, measure up to the actual? iconic imagery of like Lumiere's smile in the original like there is a personality I mean there's well, okay there's certain things no that but by virtue cartoons can do that live action just right. cannot that, that's my argument but, yeah. which is that yeah my argument is not only is this poorly conceived <laughs> as a live action vehicle but what is magical about the animated movie completely loses this magic, especially for a movie so based around mm. the romanticization of magic. Yeah. Um, because when we have animated characters, including humans, side by side with animated, inanimate, but animate objects, mm. um, they're on the same plane, you know, the same form of visual consciousness. And this never once uh, did I ever feel like. Bell was talking to uh, an actual come to life uh, candelabra. Uh, uh, Lumiere uh, from the cartoon has a much more recognizable uh, silhouette, and that's by design for a cartoon yeah. character. In the case of like, there's there's very few like live action characters that have that same sort of recognizability, aside right. from like Darth Vader. I would and that's say. For, like, Almost Obvious all reasons. the characters. I would say Mrs. Potts' puffed up cheeks. I would say um, Cogsworth's um, ridiculously snide grin. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I would say these are facets of characters that are wholly drawn and realized before the characters even have to, like, say their lines um, in a way that brings all this to life. And what what I would say to that is that in the live-action movie, all of that's completely gone, in my opinion. And frankly, the whole point of watching Disney's Beauty and the Beast, not any other version, but Disney's Beauty and the Beast, is to get swept up into the magic of <laughs> inanimate objects. Swept up into the magic? Yeah. Um, <laughs> of inanimate objects getting this kind of larger-than-life treatment and these are so weirdly bland, and not just in design, but also in the way that they're, they they don't let their face actually overshadow their objects. So all we're ever reminded at any point uh, in interacting with any of them is that they're just an, an object. And I, I don't know. It, it was so they, bizarre they to me. Can't, I think the, well, the problem is, is that they can't fucking emote because it's literally a fucking clock. 
They do, it doesn't have like Mrs. Potts puffed up cheeks like you're talking about. Like yeah. you can't. I mean, emote. they just they but just even, they just straight up put a face on right. On a yeah. pot that's for what that I mean. One. Like, put yeah, a face they, on they didn't even. Pot. And and it's so weird because all I could think about when I saw every single one of these characters is that this is the same level of artistry as the fucking Kool Aid Man commercials. <laughs> it is just a face drawn on the side of an object. And for some reason, that object won't f- um, stop fucking talking. At least saying, I can. Oh, yeah. At least I can recognize the Kool Aid Man. Yeah. Like I you mean, show me a silhouette, like that's a fucking Kool Aid Man. Yeah. I, for the most part, I mean, because it's one of the things that I I like certain aspects of their characters in this film, but at the same time, what you're describing about the the visuals of of all of the inanimate household objects that have been. <laughs> morphed into uh the people have been morphed into these inhabit objects uh you know the only the only one of those characters that i will somewhat disagree that i felt like actually that the use of the real live action uh made it feel as it it was worth it was with with cogsworth i thought the the clock it it kind of worked he didn't have a face drawn on necessarily uh he didn't have to do a lot of Actions like I Lumiere say, I also does. Thought Ian McKellen was a boring choice for it. Oh. I didn't think he was going to be. Before I didn't even I saw know it. it was him until he transformed back into him. But David Odson Steers, who I love as Major Winchester in Mash, and of course as Cogsworth. Um, I mean, some of Cogsworth himself in the original movie, like his most famous line was improvised by David Odson Steers, and you know, I I don't think Ian McKellen uh, was even present during this movie. I thought he was just kind of. Cash not check. Giving his Gandalf voice to, uh, you know, whatever. Um, and, I mean, Jerry Orbach is, that's one of the most iconic voice acting things from my from animated film, at least in my opinion. And the look and the actions of Lumiere, I mean, make that one of the yeah. more iconic Disney okay. characters that isn't a star, princess, prince, whatever. So, yeah. yeah. And then I'll touch on a few things not related to the inanimate objects, but really quickly... Um, I thought the added songs were, for the most part, not great. Um, except for the one, which I thought the Beast song was actually not bad. But mm. other than that, I found it extremely fucking bizarre that we have a songbook of wonderful songs taken from the original movie. We also have a Broadway musical adaptation. But instead of drawing from that, we decided to come up with new songs for no reason. There's only so many songs you can yeah. fit into this narrative. So I, I don't know. I just thought that was a weird fucking yeah, choice, to be honest. In my opinion, even though I, I tend to agree that I don't necessarily know if the new songs really did anything that much for me, um, you know, I gotta, I've got to at least applaud them for not just by the book, just doing every single, only the songs that were in the original animated. I mean, you had to try to do something that seemed somewhat original, and, you well, know, and even, even if it me, didn't work, it, yeah. it, you know, at least yeah. it was something, I guess. I mean, but, that's yeah. like saying, Billy, even though you didn't know 5 plus 5 equals 10, um, I'm still going to give you an A because you put a lot of effort. You, you wrote that something a. down. You put, you I, put a lot of effort into that I don't know that, that I subscribe to that because ultimately my final problem with it that before I pass it on is that None of the changes actually enhanced the material, so it was weird that I was watching this movie and wishing it was a shot-for-shot remake. Like when I wish it was more of a cash grab than it was, then I think it ultimately failed. And here's the thing: I could rewatch this movie again because certainly some of the aspects are handled decently. Like, um, you know, the Gaston number, I will admit, was actually pretty good um i thought um but at the end of the day i thought so many choices were made in making this movie from the design of the inanimate object to the casting of non-singers in the fucking titular roles even though i thought dan stevens actually surprised me um as far as he wasn't as bad as i thought he would be considering the beast doesn't really have to sing except for the new song yeah um but emma watson emma Emma watson is you know something that disney struggled with when they casted Cinderella casting Lily James who not necessarily that she's a bad actress but they didn't they casted someone who wasn't going to sell tickets based on her name and they didn't so well then that that's fine but I don't necessarily need to watch <laughs> shit movies <laughs> based on only financial but here's the thing. <laughs> 
uh, I don't need to listen to an auto-tuned version of uh, Bell. And um, yeah, I just thought it, I'm, I'm very conflicted at the very end of, sure. because there are something that this movie can get right, but it is so, in my opinion, overshadowed by all of the unnecessary changes, all of the weak additions, yeah. and frankly, all of the poor choices in making this film more commercial. I mean, the the specialty of the original was because it chose all the right people to give all that it could give to that project. I mean, Angela Lansbury oh, yeah. was not only, obviously, now she's iconic. Well, not now. She was iconic before the movie, but... Yeah. Her rendition of Beauty and the Beast is kind of crazy, but like that is the definitive, you know, fuck the Celine Dion radio version. Um, Angela Lansbury <laughs> singing, who is actually a trained singer, she um, was famously the very first, um, I forget the character's name, but Mrs. Potts, uh, not Mrs. Potts. Um, God, what's her name? And um, Sweeney Todd. She was the first. She's the one who originated that role. Oh, okay. Of, of the baker. Okay. Mm. And um, and fantastic in that role. So of course she's had this in her background. But what's crazy was that because it had been you know quite a couple decades since then, um, the story goes that she was not going to sing Beauty and the Beast. They were going to get another singer to come in and sing like almost like a narrator. You know, Beauty and the Beast, whatever. And it wasn't until I think it was the director who said, no, you need to sing it. And she was so adamant about not doing that, and it took a while, and finally she caved. And, of course, like, you can't imagine that. And it's that level of detail. Thought. You're glad the director pushed for that. Yeah, where we here we have the exact opposite. Here we have a director probably getting notes from Disney Daily about what to do and where to put the camera, who to cast, and yeah. Bill, how Bill, gay Bill. you can make your LeFou. <laughs> Bill Condon is just uh he's yeah. just a guy. Oh, he is. Yeah. So, ultimately, I, I leave it to you guys to answer the question, why the fuck should I care about this movie? Well, Toussaint, do you mind if I if I where do you want to do you want to go? I'll go. <laughs> I think he was asking can yeah. Oh yeah, you can go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. Um <laughs> I, for the most part, absolutely love this film. I, um, I, I have to say, you know, as time has gone on, uh, a big portion of, of my ratings and my gauge of a film is, did I sit and really enjoy what I was watching from start to finish? And my answer here is absolutely yes. Um, and it's not necessarily because I think that everything was done overly perfect like there are certainly flaws within this story uh but at the end of the day i love disney's original animated version of beauty and the beast and i love this version as well because i just i like so many of the casting choices here um one of the best casting choices i've seen in a long time in any film was luke evans playing gaston who i thought was absolutely fantastic um i Honestly, at this point, couldn't imagine anyone else playing that role. I thought he was just, like, perfect playing uh, that specific character. And, um, yeah, him playing that role, uh, Josh Gad, who is uh, a very interesting take on LeFou, not necessarily from the overblown gay moment aspect of it, uh, but at the same time, I felt like... Um, seen previous Josh Gad works and seeing this, I was like, wow, this is way more um, allowing him to have a couple moments that feel like something he would have said in another role that I've seen of his previously that has nothing to do with Disney uh, than here. So I was, I was surprised by that. I, I enjoyed Emma Watson as well. Uh, you know, I love the, the kind of backstory of, um, that they really wanted to have a not CGI version of the beast. And then Disney was like, nah, we're, we're doing that. So you guys can go fuck yourselves. And it's like, Oh, that's unfortunate. But, um, even, even down to, to kind of the, the smaller roles here, I thought were absolutely terrific. Um, Kevin Klein playing Maurice, I thought was just, just wonderful. Um, I, I liked his take on that character. It's a much different character. I feel like than in the original in terms of his portrayal, he's not the bumbling inventing father who's just stumbling through the woods and coming back and, and being delirious, but 
his character actually has some depth, which that is one part of the story that is, okay, I mean, you can keep giving me looks all you want, Nick, but, I mean, it's just my reading of, of the film, so that's fine. Um, you know, the the characters here and, and the story does feel at some points somewhat different from the animated film, as we do have inclusion of the the backstory of Belle's uh, mother, which which comes into play a little bit. Uh, her, for sure, um, more at least how it feels to me. Were you wondering what happened to the mother before you saw this movie? That seems like something that no, I just like. I'll wait until my turn's fine. I mean. It's not that I was wondering what happened to her mother, but if you're looking for ways to continue the storyline on and continue the relationship between Belle and her father, like I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world to have some sort of connection, especially when you're talking about um, similarities between Belle and the Beast, as we find out a little bit about his parents as well in, in this episode. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, if it's just, yeah. No, I'm just thinking about it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, I, I guess that's really all I have to say yeah. to start with. So, I just really like this movie. So, yeah. Okay. My turn? Sure. All right. So, I'm going to be totally honest. I was not excited to see this movie. I was ready to let this movie just glide over my head. Just go over my head like Drax. Didn't really care about it at all. I only went to the theater because my two cohorts wanted to do this for the episode. Mm-hmm. I sat down in the theater, didn't get any popcorn, didn't eat any drink, just ready to just like zone into this film and just like take it for what it is. And uh, I got to say, it kind of caught me off guard. I did sort of enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I thought there were enjoyable parts about it. Um, I guess it really didn't – at first I thought it was kind of banal. It was like I've already seen – Beauty and the Beast so many times as a as a kid that like I remember watching the screen up close on a CRTV that I can now close my eyes and like have the subliminal images and the 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 outlines of these characters and their their gestures and their songs sort of just like echo in 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 tandem with one another. It's like I could I can't recite it, but I can mentally recite the rhythm of that of that film by heart. Um, just like with any other Disney film that I've watched a lot as a kid. Uh, and I was surprised with how, um, with how close, almost inseparable the the live action film was from, uh, from the the original source material. I thought there were interesting little divergences, little things that weren't really necessarily consequential to the changing of the arc, but were just interesting to look at on their own. Such as when she's teaching, uh, when Belle is teaching the girl to read, and she has the donkey like washing the clothes in some type of barrel and it's circling around the rim of that mm-hmm. of, of, of that uh that 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 pond or, or or pool or whatever right and i'm just like oh my god it's like this woman's gonna grow up to be an engineer it's like her father was a clockmaker. was that in the original beauty and the beast well the idea that her father was an inventor no but like that that, that scene no that no. yeah it's like and they're they're they just the the, the townspeople get irate for whatever fucking reason because you can't teach a woman how to read. And then spilling all that of her That was like... in the novelization of the original. Okay. I'm getting really nerdy here. That's but, okay. Yeah. No, but the idea that like they're not only is Belle weird, but mm-hmm. like they're actually adamant about not teaching women to read She in might that be village. a fucking witch. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I enjoyed like little asides like that. They weren't necessarily the most memorable parts of it, but while watching, I really enjoyed it. I think that it only really clicked for me, and I told Nick this beforehand when we went to, to eat before this episode, and I know that you object to this, Nick, but at least in the moment I enjoyed it, um, it the film didn't really click with, click for me until The Beast totally dunked on Belle's choice of books. It was like, oh man, I love Romeo and Juliet. It's like, oh, of course you would love Romeo and Juliet. He's just like, it's so insipid. And he does love raspberry with his fucking lips. I'm just like, who the fuck is this dude? I'm just like, and I totally agree with you about Romeo and Juliet. And I get that the point of that is seen in the original cartoon was that Belle was supposed to teach the beast how to read and open up his world to a whole nother perspective. Yet he he owns all these books. Yet he owns all these. But (laughs) that's family. That's. 
Well, I, I get why. Well, if we're gonna wait, 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 plot wait. holes, then let's at least fill them up with uh, the actual okay, reality. Okay. The whole reason why even the 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 library existed was sort of like an attaché to sort of this high society like like castle that they lived in. It's like really for him, everything in the castle is not so much a luxury as it is sort of an accessory to an appearance, or at least that's what the, the prince would have thought before. Mm -hmm. Um, and even up to becoming a beast, had he not had his eyes open in such a way to what he had through the company of bell. Um, and after that point, I I started sort of like falling into the film of sorts. Like I started enjoying it, like despite myself, um, I, I, I can't really agree, uh, Alex, about the, the, the background stories, uh, especially about the prince and also about Belle because I feel like the question of what happened to Belle's mother is just one – no, the question of what happened to Belle's mother in the original uh, cartoon. I didn't really care about, so I was kind of just saying that I liked that it was a little – I, I know. I, 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 I get it. It's like I – I'm saying I'm just giving what my feelings yeah. are what about it was. I thought it was pretty ancillary. It didn't really offer much for me in that way. And I feel like that aspect exists purely out of sort of this I don't know what this impulse is, and it's and it's almost like a a it's 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 No, a, we're living it, in it, that it, day and it, age. It's a day and age. It's like a cultural vibe where they have to cock every single crack they have to fill in every single plot hole as it were it's like you don't need to know what happened to, to Belle's mom it's like okay she died of consumption it's like how the fuck does that circle back to any it also serves as a lazy way where the the remake in and of itself wants to have its cake and eat it too because yeah. it won't change any of the actual established scenes for the most part but it'll at least try to salivate the audience's desire for something more and in my opinion haphazardly adds things to the plot that actually distract from the main narrative also I don't like the way that uh, the Beast's uh, backstory however minor as it was with Miss Potts like explains like oh after his mom died, his father decided to try to make him just like him. And I was like, and I feel like that's sort of a way of kind of like redirecting responsibility for his own dickishness and his own assholery onto yeah. his father in a way. And it's like, well, it's not really his fault. It's like, no, I thought the whole point of this is that he was a dick. It was his fault. It is up to him to change who he is. I, I, I just don't like that, 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 that. I, I don't like that that offsetting of responsibility in that in that sort of way. I'm with you in the sense that I think two things were added to this movie to try and soothe people who have problems with a movie that came out in 1991, which mm-hmm. I think is crazy because it, a if you're remaking Beauty and the Beast, you're remaking it for one reason, which is that it is fucking beloved. People like it, you know, whatever. So well, there's these parts that I don't like about it. But no, but like, and the idea that. It's 2017, so now we need to somehow update it to make sure that it fits in. It's like, okay, this is a story about a woman fucking an animal. So it, it already... Uh, she loves Nine Inch Nails. Well, it... Uh, ooh, meow. Um, but it already, you know, teeters on a line of ridiculousness. And so any of its... Without, you know, and, and here's what I'll say, okay. The biggest example of this for me, and one of the reasons why I don't, or not one of the reasons, but one of the things that stuck out to me as a added thing that I think the movie was trying its best to bridge the gap between 2017 progressiveness and the 1991 fairy tale, whatever, where I thought it grossly misunderstood the actual point of the story was in the new version when they have their ballroom dance scene and then they go out to the balcony, just like in the original, and it's almost the same exact scene except for one line, which is that uh, Belle says... Can you ever truly love somebody if, if they're not free. if they're not free if if you're not free you know whatever and I believe that is a direct response to anybody who cites the Stockholm syndrome uh, thing that is present in this okay so here's my thoughts on this because I think this is ridiculous for two reasons which mm-hmm. is that a 
the Stockholm Syndrome aspect in the original 1991, whatever, is absolutely there. I'm not saying it's not there, but it's a fucking fairy tale. All fairy tales speak in shorthand. They are not there to, you know, rub out nuances to make sure that, you know, every party is appeased because the whole point of a fairy tale is to relay one lesson loud and clear. And there's nobody as a child, at least, who walked away as a child from Beauty and the Beast going, hmm. I'm going to get myself stuck in an abusive relationship. Well, yeah, like, I don't know about the practicalities of this domestic situation between this fully-fledged woman and this animal who, you know, abuses her. Said five-year-old Nick. Every single person, especially the children, who walk away from it are actually here of a lesson loud and clear of second chances and not judging somebody by appearance. Like, Mm -hmm. that's just... That's how well-written that is. Okay. So one of the reasons for that, in my opinion, is how well it is written. And the addition of one simple line like that, which I think is trying to be a rebuke of the very thing that people would actually say is insidious of the original, is actually damaging to this iteration of the more coherent and louder theme of uh, second chances and all that. Because, okay... In the original, when they're on the balcony and he lets her go, he does that because he realized that now that he feels love, that there's nothing else for him to do, and that Belle is her own agent of, you know, um, of a person, and that, you know, it, her life is just as important as his and whatever. Here, his reaction is based on that line, and that seems more like a defeatist ending that it does I've discovered what true love is for her to say well I can't love anybody if I'm not really free and then for him to go okay well you're free it just completely sucked the moment out of probably the most cathartic and one of the most romantic things I've seen in all of cinema in the original film and I thought that was pretty much a microcosm of how this movie tries to insert updated uh, I don't know frameworks for uh, things that the movie itself perceives as archaic, but in reality it's not. It's, 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 it speaks in the language of fables, and it, and it has a fundamental misunderstanding of why it worked in the original and how it was killing it in the remake. Mm. So, anyway. um, yes, all of those things. I think that's a, a, a pretty astute and on-point uh, observation of that. Also, maybe taking it down a couple of notches. Um, I really didn't enjoy the, the pre-release uh, promotion of the character of Gaston's uh, companion. What's his name? LeFou. LeFou. I didn't like the, the necessarily the, the, the promotion of, of him necessarily being a gay character. Let me, let me couch this. Okay. I am totally fine with LeFou being a gay character. I think the way that sure, buddy. I'm, I like the way that he was sort of portrayed in, in, in the actual films. Like it wasn't too overly flamboyant or stereotypical. I felt like, well, yeah, he's, he had sort of a flamboyance about him, but I think that's more in line with sort of like the pretty comfortable conservative gay. Yeah. And that's sort of like it, it, his flamboyance, I feel like was more of in service of the musical aspect of the film than it was like, uh, they're also apparently not allowed to hug. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, what I'm what I'm trying to too say too much. What, <laughs> Said the hetero to the gay. What I would have, what I would have preferred is that I I understand the value of, of of representation. I applaud representation. I I value representation in in media. Um, I just wish that they didn't have to feel the need to an, announce it necessarily. Not because they. Not because it's something to be ashamed of, just because I feel like, are you asking for like participation points? Do you want to pat on the back because you're so progressive? Or do you really want this? Is, is LeFou's character preceded by his his sexuality or by his personality of who he is? First of all, this isn't representation. No gay person. And yeah. I'm sorry, like, I'm not going to, yeah. even though yeah. it's going to. Even though I'm going to speak for a whole entire population that I'm not a part of, I'm just going to do it anyway. <laughs> okay, but fine. I'll, I'll whatever. Yeah, let's I'll, let's, I'll take let's the just hash this, let's just hash this out. It's fine. But show me a gay person that's going to watch this movie and go, finally, finally, I'm in a movie <laughs> that respects me as a person. No, it's, it's, that's a, yeah. that's fucking ludicrous. Yeah. And Disney, in and of itself, 
I think are getting worse in this day and age when it comes to that because clearly they're straddling the line between two camps. <laughs> okay, one camp being that, yes, Disney in and of itself is and always will until they break the mold, but panders to a very safe conservative idea of wholesome America. Mm-hmm. Like, that's who they are, and that's all, who they always will be, as, as far as I can see. It just happens to have moved a couple of notches left as from between 1991 and yeah. 2017. But here's the thing. They're always 20 to 30 years too late in every step they make with regards to progressiveness. And the, the, the crazy irony of this is that this is... A loud, flamboyant gay musical. I mean, just as far as like breaking it down into a homosexual stereotype, whatever. Like the other camp of huge population of people who love Disney are the gays. Like, I, I, no, but like it, that sounds whatever, but it's true. And I even read an article of this effect that, and I wish I could cite it, but I know it was on IndieWire where someone pointed that out, uh, and it's it's true. And the idea that they are trying to cater to that population by J.K. Rowling the shit out of their characters. Um, because, yes, I'm going to point that out in the sense that the, these characters are not gay. They are just de facto Easter egg gay. And that in and of itself is an insult to the very population that it supposedly is trying to connect to. I like and I think that. it's kind of gross. I, li- I like that, that term, Easter egg gay, because it's it really is <laughs> yeah. just something that's... And like, here, oh, w- really quick, though, we, we've had a long string of movies now in this uh, day and age of the last five years where people have caught on to these Easter eggs after the movie. You know, we heard about the uh, the gay man in Frozen and his family, whatnot, which, by the way, is ten times more gay in that split-second shot than anything LeFou does here um but we've heard about that we hear about a few other things whatnot and here it felt more like disney trying to profit off of that like they do the same thing they've always done in the past 10 years but here they're like oh people eat that shit up yeah let's give them the gay breadcrumb and and selling that way marked up wholesale sprinkle it over and because they're now starting to rub our faces in it i i think they're honestly losing the moral high ground and it's kind of fucking disgusting how many years especially for a fucking movie that's all about true love that's insulting how many years you want to yeah if you want to mention moral high ground in disney and go back and watch some of their previous works it's like oh no i'm not saying they have a great track record. how many years did you say that they were behind progressivism <laughs> i'd say 20 to 30 20 to 30 i mean that's, and that's not, being generous that's i mean to be a little bit fair that's not that bad for a company for an entertainment company that was founded by an anti-semite no and, and that's what i'm trying to say i'm not saying that they're the worst company out there <laughs> they're close Okay, well, I'm confused because every time... They're up there. <laughs> but, okay. But, um, yeah, and frankly, the whole LeFou thing does not really factor into, like, what I think about this movie. Um, although I will say the fact that his, quote-unquote, partner, if I can call the man that, mm. who he ends up dancing with, which is Disney's version of an exclusively gay moment... Wow, if you went to what Disney would put on as an exclusively gay wedding, it would be one man standing up the altar and another man like out in the hall saying, yeah, I, I take this man, but then having to get back into the hall because apparently we can't actually watch anything that's too exclusively gay. Anyway, but that man wasn't even gay in the movie until he tried on a dress. So let's just all applaud Disney for its exclusively gay moment. Yay. Thanks for reminding me that... Somehow, the film in 1991 is more fucking progressive than the film in 2017. I'm done. Well, that's a mic drop if I ever saw one. Uh, I I don't have anything else to add to that. Alex, do you have anything else to add to that? Nope. Would, would, would we like to go into our no, final well, thoughts on this that, film? Though, sure. I want to know... Oh. No, I mean, before we, can, we yeah, okay. really quick, um, sure. I'm curious, Alex, from someone who liked it, uh-huh. what are some of your, I would say, favorite moments in which the live action, let's talk about moments in which moments are recreated, not added, yeah. that you may mm-hmm. either liked as much as or even more in this live action. Adaptation. Yeah, I mean, here we see the, the final sort of uh, moments and climactic uh, part of this film, which I felt like. Uh, for me, at least, uh, completely just 
went above and beyond what uh, what the animated film did. Uh, Are we talking about like I'm talking about the the moment uh, starting with Gaston turning the crowd into okay. wanting to go uh, and just you know kill take the over at the be- take over the the castle and kill the beast. Um, you know Disney is is just killing it with uh, fire at nighttime, <laughs> and then it, it looks it looks exactly as they were describing it. And we have the the song and dance, and the moment when they come back and go into the magical part of the woods and uh, enter the enter the castle, and and that the live action iteration of that scene I thought was absolutely wonderful it reminded me of uh you know sort of these large fighting scenes that disney's done so well in other films like pirates of the caribbean uh that that just have a certain look to them and uh, i think that scene really built on the success of the you know that cool little animated scene that they did which is basically the same thing but here it seemed to hit a lot more beats that i thought uh really hit home for me at least in terms of not hitting home necessarily that's a bad description <laughs> i remember my first yeah. inanimate object war yeah. no that was a really poor use of words but it really just took off better for me in, in this version and then we see the the final battle with the with the beast uh fighting gaston uh, which goes very similarly. Fighting. Well, I mean, yeah. it goes very similarly to the animated version, but uh, it all just kind of morphs together as we have uh, the inclusion, which I believe it comes from the uh, theater production, which is the actual physical falling apart of the castle as as they get yeah, closer. Yeah, that's definitely which, not a part of the original animated um, version, right, right. right? Which. And I enjoyed that little small detail, and it totally pays off there at the end, where that ultimately leads to Gaston's demise. Uh, so, you know, that was one of the major aspects later in the film that I that I really enjoyed. But I loved a lot of little details, even like simple small things, like Maurice walking through the castle the first time, being cold, looking for the fire, uh, picking the the rose with the thorns in in the the weird garden in the middle of the snow. Um, just a lot of those small details uh, that that worked really well in the live action. And even though it wasn't necessarily a great scene, uh, the ending of the, the opening uh, scene with Belle singing and it, as it turned into kind of more of a larger sort of production in the final 20 seconds, yeah. I, I liked that aspect of it. And, yeah, there there were just a lot a lot of little things that made this add up to a to a really enjoyable film for me. So can I praise something? Sure, because I don't want to be a complete dick. <laughs> but um, and I'm only a dick because I really like the first one. That's all. That's uh-huh. um, well, and also because I'm a dick. But <laughs> um, one addition, the mm-hmm. only thing that was like a major change that I liked mm-hmm. in this movie. I'll give it credit for that, is the death of the objects. That was really not in the original movie as no. far as it is like they, they're they changed back at the moment that they need to be and, you know, whatever. But the, like, no matter how manipulative it is, like the actual, and it, not only that, but it's pretty elongated because it's one after another. And, um, and then you even get the really, uh, you know, really quite good uh, moment where the camera kind of zooms out uh, of the hole and we just see these objects that could just be sitting there for the rest of time yeah. you know so i uh that that was actually one of my two favorite parts of the film uh the first part uh was in my screening when there was a elderly woman in front of me who would not stop talking about ed sheeran uh and the the second part was tied to that scene um just wouldn't stop talking about him. Just really love that Not ginger. Not dog. Yeah, just loved him. Uh, and there is a little girl behind me with her with her parents uh, who started crying uh, when the the inanimate objects like turned back to themselves. And just like, I don't want them to die. And I had like immediate flashbacks <laughs> to watching uh, Captain America's Civil War and seeing like uh, Tony Stark's mom getting choked inside of a car. And I'm just like, man, that was. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's. 
That's pretty night and day in terms of that. I mean, that was, it still had the same emotional effect on a child. Well, I mean, the Winter Soldier strangled her to death. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. no appliances got strangled. They all just well, like they all just became an, all their inanimate objects. All their souls just faded away and went to hell. <laughs> Actually, I'll say one more. I'll up the ante of what I said, which okay. is it's not simply even that I like that scene of the the inanimate object. I'll say this: the the area in which this movie improves the original. Okay, mm-hmm. this is the only not a lot. <laughs> this, but I will say, as someone who thinks the original is perfect, I will admit that that movie's ending, as far as the moment the that the spell is broken, that movie has nothing left to say, and it just... There's ends. no denouement for the film. No, and, and yeah. I don't think they knew what they would have said with it, yeah. whatever, but I'll admit that everything besides LeFou's dancing mm-hmm. um, is actually kind of a pitch-perfect way to end it, because I'll say this, even if I love the original, I will admit the one thing the original never addresses, and at least this movie addresses albeit in a punchline, but at least puts it out there, is that if you fell in love with a beast, your reward should not be a completely different person. You know, like that's kind of a weird, not moral, but ending to whatever. So at least like the um, Emma Watson Bell saying, how would you feel about growing a beard? Because it was both cute, romantic, but at least did kind of wink at the audience like, as as hot as you might be, you're also not technically the person I fell in love with. You know, whatever. So I I like that at least that shade. But coupled that that with an actual all out the whole cast singing uh, tale was all the time, I thought that that whole thing worked. Yeah, um, I, I I agree. So I'll um, give it that. Yeah. Uh, in addition, that definitely was here that is not present at all in the animated version, which uh, I I personally can't I couldn't co-sign the the feeling that it was just kind of added here just because. Um, I, I do like the addition of um, the character. Why can't I not think of what her she's referred to as? But the one who gives the beast. The you talk about the witch? Yes. Yeah, like how she's now an actual character in a story, yeah. not just a prologue. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I like Name the... like Agatha or something? Yeah, I, and I like the idea that she has more of a purpose than just this fairy tale character who arrives and then is an integral part of the story, but then is never spoken of again, and... It wasn't even that they had to just, you know, fill that gap or anything like that. But I, I, I just like the idea of her filling a lot of different purposes, whether it's yeah. the idea of her helping uh, Belle's father, Maurice, sort of get his legs back under him and get yeah. back to talk with uh, Gaston. Uh, the idea that, that she's just kind it's of... Kind this- of an- or trope of fairy godmother. Yeah, sort of thing. but it, not it's it's not like it's completely overdone or anything like that. It's just kind of she's just kind of there and and living within this community and almost acting as like a like a watcher over yeah. over the the inhabitants of this community. And I, I just I, I quite like that little. Addition. I'll agree with you on that as well because I'll also say that tying into the fact that I like the Denouement better in this, mm-hmm. there, there's also a better. <laughs> handling of the beast turning back because here what i like in the in the original somehow love overcomes the spell like mm-hmm. that that's the only reason why because technically the rose and you know whatever but yeah love conquers all type thing which is totally fine that's the whole point of that story whatever yeah. but here it's a little more nuanced than that because in keeping up with the theme of second chances i like the idea that she's a witness to the power of you know the the man. I won't say the beast, but finding love and um, receiving it and giving it. That she then decides to intervene because of the same lesson that she's trying to teach him, which is that you know looks can be deceiving, and who you think a person is when you meet them is not always who they'll end up being. The more you get to know them, so the fact that she also is um, complicit in that lesson and ends up being the Deus Ex Machina is actually kind of a good thing. I thought yeah. so. Yeah. Um. So, if you guys are are down, going into to oh fi- yeah, I'm down to final thoughts and and ratings. Um. I guess I'll start first. Oh yeah. Okay. Are you the Kool Aid man? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
I love that character. Uh, although I definitely so recognizable. I definitely uh, recognize quite a few faults within this film because mm-hmm. there are certain things here that uh, could have been done better. And obviously, this is Disney, and just like with with Marvel, who also is involved in Disney, obviously, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was able to get past uh, certain completely just over the top taking advantage of of either children or people who like the stories uh, within their properties as, as Disney slash Marvel has done. And, you know, I've been able to look past it with some of the works that have been done with characters that I like, like Iron Man and, and other Disney characters as well. Uh, but here, I just thought this was an enjoyable movie from start to finish. I, I really liked the performance by Emma Watson, who I you know thought was a really good choice for the role not necessarily because of her singing voice but just because of uh her overall goals as an actress and um you know honestly she just pretty much fits if you wanted to typecast what bell would probably look like as a human and she's pretty much probably what she would look like um all the other performances for the most part i thought were at least serviceable uh ewan mcgregor was okay as Lumiere, but didn't do anything great. Uh, Weird. It kind of felt like he was casted just because he could do the accent, but not because he could actually, like, articulate. Act like him. Yeah. But at the same time, it's funny because he could do the accent, but I know, at least I I read uh, somewhere, that apparently he recorded his lines twice because the first time it came out not sounding like... (laughs) He wanted. It didn't come out sounding French, which is a hey, mon cherry. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's that's interesting. But Sacre Blue Invaders. That was still there. How about that? It was. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, which is kind of surprising. But there you go. Hey. Um, Fan service. Yeah. I, I guess. But that's an interesting inclusion uh, in the in the story. However, uh, I enjoyed Ian McClellan's performances. Cogsworth. Uh, I enjoyed the Be Our Guest moment, not because it was great or anything like that, or even because it was good, uh, but it, it did, even though it felt like the exact same thing, it did feel, at least to me, a slight bit original so and different from, from the animated version. And as I've already mentioned, I thought there were certain characters here that the performances and the actual characters went above and beyond what I thought they were going to be. I thought Luke Evans put on a pretty much perfect performance as Gaston playing one of, one of not my favorite villains, but, but one of the easiest villains to understand. And at the same time, uh, root against. And, and I think Luke Evans plays the asshole, uh, masculine character, uh, who somehow eats 48 eggs a day uh, terrifically. Can I just say, <laughs> they never <laughs> had him eat eggs <laughs> that fly through the air like they did in the animated movie. I mean, yeah. And I'm not saying that affects my rating, but let's be honest, it probably did. Yeah. Uh, and and also, Kevin Klein I thought, did a really nice job playing Bell's father, Maurice. Uh, and even Dan Stevens as the Beast, uh, his voice acting and some of his small details, specifically the scene that uh, Toussaint referenced earlier, and even the small wink at the audience of, how did you, you know, have time to, to read all these books? I had an expensive education. Like, it's it's just, you know, one of those little things that seems like, oh, someone at Disney thought this was witty. Yeah. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed everything pretty much about this film and and I'm glad I was able to to go and see it and we were able to talk about it a little bit. So for me it's a, it's a very high rating of four and a half out of five as I um I'm interested to see it again and I thought this was a quite good little film. So I will pass it on to whoever would like to go next. I'll go next. Cool. Um circling back and echoing some of Nick's sentiments, I think that this film is definitely indicative of some of the inadvertently regressive um, pandering of contemporary Disney when it comes to uh, their recent live action affair. Uh, Not simply in the case of just digging into the so-called Disney vault and polishing something off, giving it a coat of live action uh, veneer, uh, 
slap dashing it and like putting it out for for people to sort of like proliferally relive um, the experience of watching a cartoon, but it's not a cartoon now. It's real. Sounds um, like the premise of a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a cartoon anymore. It's real. Um, <laughs> as, as much as it is that I did find myself um, against my <laughs> against against my better judgment, I did find myself given over to some of this film's uh, attempts at charm. I did enjoy it simply because I enjoyed the original uh, Beauty and the Beast as a kid, and I sort of was able to peripherally remember why I was so attuned to that original film. And I felt like in some ways, if at, if at most, even if, if the, the, the art style and the, the way of trying to like translate cartoon aspects into a live action thing wasn't a, exactly a one-to-one I feel like it was close enough in some parts in its broad strokes to sort of bring me back to sort of that emotional like point of, of resonance with the with the original work um, I did think uh, that the uh, the servants uh, like the the candlestick and the, the the clock and Mrs. Potts and her sonship were absolutely utterly horrifying. Uh, I frequently thought to myself in the back of my mind, like, what did these good people do to slight God to be turned into such horrifying monstrosities? Um, they were fucking. It takes terrifying. a village, man. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say this movie actually tries to answer that, which I yeah. feel like makes it much weirder. They, they were, <laughs> yeah, and I don't. Why did you? Oh my god, Chip, we are complicit. Oh my god, oh my god, what? Why is this? Happening? Yeah, oh you, my god, you mama, a, you you as a five year old child, this is what this, this is. What your, did the child do to slight God? This <laughs> is on you, fucker. <laughs> this is my nightmare. Yeah, oh my god. which is true. Yeah. Jesus this, Christ, this is a nightmare. Yeah, that was. You I, now have to be a, a candlestick for eternity. I am the candelabra. No, <laughs> that's not true. Um, but. Yeah, I I thought this film was okay. It it didn't really move the needle for me. It's not I'm it's not particularly memorable. After I I left the theaters, like as soon as it ended and the the title the the end credits like rolled, I was so out that theater. I was just like you know that was good, but I don't I don't want to stay for the after credit scene where the beast gets like I don't know recruited to be part of the Avengers Initiative or some bullshit. I don't know. Um, I would give this a two and a half out of five. I thought that it was a straight middle down the road film. Um, it was a serviceable adaptation of a of a pre existing property, if egregious in some respects. And it will probably lead to inevitably more live action adaptations. So I mean, buckle up, fuckers! They're they're they're. I'm just waiting to see the 20 film five year plan for Disney following this one. Don't so. joke. I yeah yes. no, that's I could see it absolutely. Let's hope they get the director of the lure for the Little Mermaid live adaptation. <laughs> there is a Little Mermaid film That's that has nothing to do property. That has nothing yeah. to do with the Disney. No, they just yeah. took the name. Yeah, but it's still is like oh okay. Yeah. Although power of of branding and power of that, <laughs> Emily was like, I I hear there's a yeah. maybe a Little Mermaid. I'm like, nah, it's not necessarily. I mean, we can see it, but it's not what just you're thinking. Just show the lure. Yeah. It's not what you're thinking. So, all right, moving on to Nick. Guys, gentlemen, dudes, nostalgia is a funny thing. Um, okay, I got to say, I'm in a weird position here. Um, I feel like the Republican Party forced to back a wholly unqualified candidate. Because <laughs> I disagree with all the choices being made here. But this was the wagon that I was hitched to before this came to the front runner of what we're left with. And I got to (laughs) say, no matter how much shit I talk about this movie, I still love Beauty and the Beast as told by Disney. So at the end of the day, I got to confess, I kind of like this movie. (laughs) I think it does so many things wrong. I think it completely betrays my party. And uh, and I'm kind of embarrassed that I have to endorse it publicly. And you you know you don't care if you're even to lose votes, but you're going to give everyone health care. That's Except right. Except for those 24 million. That's right. 
And this is exactly how I like my gay people. <laughs> so it, it is with a heavy heart <laughs> that I give this movie three out of five stars because at the end of the day, I would rewatch this movie. I don't know when I would rewatch it over the original because if I ever was in the mood for it, so I'd have to be in a weird mood. But if somebody else wanted to watch it, it's not insufferable. It's not whatever. But I definitely think this is learning all the wrong lessons in live ad- adaptation of these cartoons. I I still think we need to follow the Pete's Dragon mode, which is take shitty original movies, make them better <laughs> because of either the technology that it has passed um, or just don't actually try to recreate it. Just take the name, the brand, and tell your own story. So at, at the end of the day, you know, I know I, I was very harsh on it, and I always will be. I'm never going to necessarily defend this movie but you'll probably catch me watching it once or twice in the future. I mean, there's too many things here for for Disney's sake that just worked out too well for them to not put as many resources into this film as as they did. I mean, the idea of them doing this, redoing it, uh, going out and saying that this is going to be the first remake that we've done, that we're including uh, original and songs that you know, which of course, is something that is oddly missing from Cinderella is there is no real music or, uh, you know, sun songs throughout the entire film, which is really? very... Yes. Wow. Which is very would, odd. People don't really watch Cinderella for the <laughs> for the story for the most part. I mean, I mean, and even if they do, it just felt bizarre that there weren't even the iconic... Song making an appearance. Somewhere. Oh yeah, or like through the scores. Yeah, but, so that was that was weird. But you know, here Disney brought that in obviously because this would have been a total fucking blunder if it didn't include anything. And you know, at the same time, uh, I can't really understate the importance of casting Emma Watson in the lead role because that's a big name to have in the lead role of your film and. You know they haven't really hit huge home runs with the casting of leads in these in these films. So this was uh, everything just kind of converged together, and obviously Disney financially is reaping the benefits as a lot of people went and saw this film first week. So if you out there have any thoughts on on this version or even the animated version of Beauty and the Beast, please do feel free to send them on to us here at Film Tank Show. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show, or also at Gmail uh, at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Coming up on our next episode, uh, we are going to have a special guest, as our friend Anna is going to be rejoining us, as we uh, are going to talk about a film that has... uh, Definitely spread via word of mouth at the theater and has uh, has done pretty well at the box office. Not great, but also has has had a presence in the in the uh, early spring box great. office. Hmm? I would say great, considering what it was, I mean. Horror films. I mean, in it was this a, era or not era? Yeah, but no, time of year. But I mean, I guess I by mean, a sketch comedy. Yeah. And African American. I was more referring to it as it wasn't like a huge, enormous hit like Deadpool was at this time last year. Oh, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it's still doing quite well at the box office for what the expectations were. Uh, and that is uh, the film Get Out. Uh, this is a film that I know we've all been interested in seeing, wanted to see. and, and I can't wait to see it. Yeah, and talk, talk about it. And uh, we're going to do that coming up on episode 107. So, from Nick Cheney to Sant Egan, myself, Alex Siegman, thank you very much to the listener for uh, joining us here at Film Tank, and we'll catch up with you next time. Is it racist if I call Get Out Spooky? Mm-hmm.